are are you okay with us titling this a rash approach to rashes? Uh, yes, please. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Podcast is for entertainment, education, and information purposes only, and the topics discussed should not be used solely to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any diseases or conditions. For more of the views and statements expressed on this podcast are solely those of those, and should not be interpreted to reflect official policy or position of any entity, aside from possibly cash-like more hospital and affiliate outreach programs, if indeed there are any. In fact, there are none. Pretty much, we are responsible to screw up. You should always do your own homework and let us know when we're ready. Hey, Stuart, we're back. Hi again. How you doing? How's Paul? You know, I, I Paul, uh, we we just got back from a conference. It's a busy week. Paul couldn't make it tonight, but uh, you know what? I I don't think I don't think we needed him. I think we did pretty well. Uh, no, and I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure that this show was a little bit ADD, as you were saying uh, in post. So I don't know how well Paul would have tolerated the amount of pictures and uh, <laughs> and. Puns and puns. That's okay. He's got he's got no skin in this game, so yeah. we're good to go. <laughs> yeah. So Stuart, since Paul's not here, why don't you tell the audience what it is? Well, we're going to talk about dermatology tonight. We're going to talk about rashes, but why don't you tell the audience what we'd normally do on this show? Well, so we're the Curbsiders. It's uh, the internal medicine podcast that uses expert interviews to bring you clinical pearls and you know really practice changing knowledge. Um, we're kind of on the forefront and sometimes on the back front too. So, um, you know, and, and in the, the, in, in the air of full disclosure, uh, and to make Paul Williams proud and happy with us that we're berating everyone. If you want to skip ahead and be a less of a person for you and not know about books, reading words, things like that, then go ahead and do that. But otherwise stay with us. Yes. And Stuart, our guest gave a couple great book recommendations. So people, I would recommend they do listen to that. And on this show tonight, our guest uh, in pre-recording was making the point to me that on average, medical schools only give about three hours of education in dermatology. So coming at you here is a an extensive discussion about rashes and sort of how to approach approach rashes. It's really it's helpful. three hours here too. <laughs> it's really helpful and it is very, uh, I think there's a lot of high yield stuff here and a lot of just like really practical pearls and just kind of fun things to say at parties too, probably. Right, Stuart? Yes. <laughs> Our guest is Dr. Helena Pacheca, MD. She is the director of inpatient and consultative consultative? <laughs> she is the director of inpatient and consultative dermatology at Cashlack Memorial Hospital and a newly minted chief of dermatology at Cashlack Memorial Hospital. I think you'll very much be able to tell why after you hear the show. She is board certified in both internal medicine and dermatology. She obtained her medical degree from the University of Washington School of Medicine. She completed internal medicine residency at the University of Michigan and a dermatology residency at Johns Hopkins University. She also has a master's of science in biostats and clinical research. Her areas of research interest include inpatient and consultative dermatology, severe skin disease, and skin manifestations of internal disease or immunosuppression. She is also interested in issues related to access to dermatology and dermatology in public health. This was an absolute joy to talk with Dr. Pasheka. I think you're going to love this episode. So without further ado, let's get on with it. I swallowed a bug. Wait, wait what? <laughs> I swallowed a bug. 
That's something. <laughs> is is this part of part of a joke or are you being No, legitimately I swallowed a bug. It was in my water. It's disgusting. <laughs> Helena, I think we're at a great point to start here. So tell us a one liner about yourself and maybe tell us about your chickens or anything else really interesting that you want to talk about. Uh, okay. So I am Helena and I am an internist by training. Uh, who practiced as a hospitalist, who went forth and completed a second residency in dermatology. And I have been building and busy with the operations of an inpatient consultative dermatology service at a major regional uh, hospital, namely Cashlack Memorial Hospital. Wonderful. We're so glad to have you on staff. It's uh, We've really needed dermatology for a long time. The, the credentialing was really <laughs> airtight. I have to give you guys credit for that. <laughs> yeah, you just give me or Stuart an envelope of cash and you're in. That's It, it worked well. Yeah, that was yeah. great. <laughs> All right, Stuart. So when I go to a cocktail party, considering I go to so many of those, I usually say, hey, I'm an internal medicine physician as opposed to an external medicine physician. Do you consider yourself an external medicine physician? Is that a thing? I consider myself a skin turnist. <laughs> okay. Or an internist externist. Excellent. Turn that one on its head. Touche. <laughs> I didn't realize how out of the control the puns were going to be on this one, but I probably should have figured. <laughs> yeah, you probably should have. Um, is there is there any book? Well, what is there any book? Yes, there are books. Uh, is there is there a book that you think that physicians should read for their own? I don't know. Happiness. Oh, a book. One book? One book, two books, three books, four. Yeah. Th- sometimes we help guests out by just saying anything you've read recently that you yeah. enjoyed oh, that, that other people well, that's might want to read. Problem. That's the problem. All the things. Um, <laughs> Is that a book? I'm looking it up now. No, no, no. That's not a book. Um, I remember being very moved by um, Rachel Naomi Raymond's book. Um, is it my grandfather? Oh my God. I'm my, not going to have my grandfather's blessings. blessings. Yeah. Um, that was huge. Paul Farmer's book, of course. Um, mountains beyond mountains for sure. And can you tell um, us a little bit about, um, why, why was this Raymond's, uh, this Rachel Naomi Raymond's book. Why was that so moving? I think it's just, she has this way of bringing herself to her medicine and her medicine to humanity in such a way. And her writing just encompasses sort of that uh, everyday human experience. Like, so for me, medicine is a profession. It's not a job. It's more of a calling. And so come what may with, an electronic medical record or come what may with hospital administration or RVUs or Mm. macro or MIPS or whatever it's, you know, you stick with it, not because it's easy or because it's desirable in it's day to day, but because it's what you're called to do. And I think for me, uh, Rachel Naomi Raymond's book just brings that like very simple, humble, humanity and her writing is just so easy to gobble up um interesting sort of it's sort of like if you could write that yourself if you had the time and you were just that easy going with your liter like with your ability to sort of journal 
it's sort of what I think would come out of me if I were so eloquent and I'm clearly not. So that book I think was just really great because it, it touches on profession um, and sort of that ethical, somewhat spiritual duty to do what we do every day. Um, and it helps to center you when it's not easy to do those things yeah. mm-hmm. for the right reasons. Um, Paul Farmer's book, Mountains Beyond Mountains, is how you do all of that with the bare minimum in resources. Mm-hmm. Like literally you have your get up and go and you have a desire and a trajectory and a focus and a, uh, a dream. Mm-hmm. And you just get up every day, put on your clothes and make the most difference you can make in any given system with whatever resources are available. And that, I just find that incredibly inspiring. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it's interesting that you use the word gobble because Rachel Naomi uh, Raymond, she also wrote a book called kitchen table wisdom. Oh yeah. That's a great one too. <laughs> yeah. I, I heard it's very tasteful. <laughs> it's um, that one is also good. I mean, I think those were two very formative books in my medical school years um cutting for stone which must have been mentioned on this show a thousand sure. times before yeah. i don't um, remember that one uh, really it's really wonderful um really a wonderful book yeah well i think i mean that has oh and anything by david sedaris which has nothing to do with medicine but is hilarious and causes you to freely weep <laughs> like on public transportation <laughs> Because it's I, hilarious. I think I heard him on Conan's podcast. Uh, oh Conan O'Brien has a podcast. The conversation was pretty funny. Oh my god, the best, <laughs> the best. I'll have to look this up. Well, because I like David like Sedaris. Because I don't want to run out of time talking about rashes. <laughs> I mean, I think you mean talking about books. Uh, no, I wanna I wanna save enough time to talk about rashes. What I mean, but I, I think I think you gave us a great book recommendation, the Rachel Naomi Raymond one. I hadn't heard of before, and I'm interested to check it out because I think, uh, as you mentioned, it's easy. Uh, there's a lot of things that draw us away from remembering why we're doing what we're doing. This profession is it a calling or a vocation? Whatever you, however you think about it. But I think it's important to kind of constantly recenter yourself. Uh, Fortunately for us, we do the show. We have a lot of guests that always kind of like when they come on, they talk about that sort of stuff. So it, it helps me personally, hopefully helps the audience as well. Um, yeah. So thank you Good for those stuff. recommendations. And, sure. uh, you know, you're, you started up this consult service at Cashlack. So let's, let's talk about a patient. Um, his name is John Stevenson. He's 43. He's been coming to uh, see us. You know, we've seen him in and out of the hospital. We were initially going to make this a clinic case. Well, let's change it. Let's make it a, we saw, we saw this guy in the hospital. You saw him on the consult service. Um, he's got a history of asthma, uh, anxiety. And now um, he recently was prescribed uh, trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole for what they, he thought was an ear infection. And now he's having some, some like some ache. He feels a little achy. He's got a mild headache. And he woke up with a rash on his trunk. He wants you to take a look at it. So, Helena, can you tell us? Uh, did I did I say something wrong? Stuart's typing. No, now. no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, you can't believe that I said uh, trim sulfa fully <laughs> without stuttering. Thank you, Stuart. I You're I'm really welcome. growing as a person on the show. You mean he took the trimethoprim sulfa methoxazole? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he didn't say trim sulfa. <laughs> Yeah, I usually give myself a shortcut. All right. So back to the case here. 
Uh, Helena, I think it would be tremendously helpful if you could give us some practical tips about when you're when you're seeing a patient with a rash, regardless of where it is, like what sort of steps do you think through? And I know you probably think through like a hundred steps without even thinking about it anymore, but try to remember, you know, what steps are you taking? Yeah. Yeah. No, this is the best, this is like the best thing ever. Right. So I think at the end of the day, dermatology is medicine. Like it's all the same house. Right. Mm -hmm. So what did you learn in your intern year? What is the only thing you learned in your intern year? right? Put in orders for... <laughs> okay. Yes. Don't forget the diet. Yes, I know. No. Um, sick, not sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? right. Like, that's like the joke about intern year that like for all the things you learned, you literally learned sick, not sick. Yes. The, imp- right? the most important thing. Yes. Right. And so I think that that is number one in dermatology as well. So in looking at our patient um, here at Cashlack Memorial Hospital in the ER, from the door, you're looking at him and you're thinking, okay, does he look toxic? Does he look unwell? Is he sick? Right? That's like your threshold for wondering about severe cutaneous adverse reactions to drugs, life-threatening emergencies in dermatology, um, if he's eating a hamburger and texting um, while FaceTiming his girlfriend, (laughs) I think he's probably fine. Um, But that is an important thing even from the door, right? Um, you sort of fed me a low ball there. Fed me a low ball? That doesn't make sense. <laughs> Cost me a low ball. Um, you told me he was on the trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, which of course in dermatology, we tend to think of as a very bad actor um, for a lot of the things that we worry about as being serious in terms of a drug reaction. Um, it is not our favorite drug in derm, although on the flip side, we also use it a lot for things. Um, but you know, a young person who's feeling unwell and has a history of having taken this medication within the last, say, four to 10 days, um, we're going to have heightened awareness that he may be having um, a serious drug eruption like something early Stevens-Johnson syndrome or toxic epidermal necrolysis. Um, His review of systems will be very important. So how long has he been feeling unwell? Does he have low-grade fevers? Is he feeling malaise? Does he feel flu-like? Does he have sort of a queasy, vaguely upset stomach with some nausea? Generally, there's not really diarrhea and vomiting that goes along with these drug eruptions, but this just sort of unsettled stomach, um, low appetite, feeling malaise, uh, flu-like, if you will. Um, very, very commonly. And then more often than not, along the elementary canal, there's also a pharyngitis, right? So they have a sore throat. They're often seen at a urgent care or a doc in the box, a minute sort of quick clinic um, where they are seen for a sore throat, low-grade fevers, and given empiric antibiotics, right? That's often, it's a very common history for these folks. Um, They're often taking over-the-counter antipyretics. So they're taking um, acetaminophen, ibuprofen, or similar. Um, And when it comes to drug eruptions, these things can be confounders for sure um, because they're recent medications. Um, So those are all things I would want to sort of get a sense of from him. And then of course your physical exam is going to be very, very important. Um, if there's any hint of conjunctivitis, 
if there's any hint of urethritis, if he's having any perianal symptoms or um, painful defecation, blood in the stool, um, that would indicate mucosal involvement. So oral, nasal, ocular, um, in women, vulvar, vaginal, urethral or perianal symptoms must be ascertained in somebody with this history. I, I would say in my experience from taking a number of consults like this, that is the component of the exam that I think is not performed, uh, particularly the GU mm-hmm. components, um, because it's the ER and their derm and they're in the hallway and they're fully clothed. So I can't emphasize enough how important it is to do the full total body skin exam, including um, the full Monty Uh Um, and moving them into a private space to get that done is profoundly important because in greater than 90% of cases in serious drug eruptions, like Stevens Johnson syndrome and toxic epidermal necrolysis, you will have two sites of mucosal involvement, any two, pick any two, but it's greater than one. And that can really be a wonderful litmus test for your threshold of suspicion, um, especially if you're calling a dermatologist to help you acutely. So that's sort of where I would approach this gentleman. It could be any number of other things as well, um, his rash. But um, that's sort of my first initial thoughts as a consultant off the bat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hadn't. That's I, I. I love the the point there that. You have to uh, like you know looking at all the mucosal surfaces and the pearl that you, that often too will be involved, um, yeah. Because I think let's let's be honest, you don't you're not always looking at all the skin on the patients in the hospital because of logistic or time constraints, but or they're fully clothed wearing two track suits on top yeah. of each other because they're <laughs> cold and losing all their heat through their skin. Yeah. And if you look at them by triage score, by Apache or whatever they're using to triage folks, um, they're not very sick, right? right? So they're mm-hmm. clothed and in the hallway and in a chair. So when you think of rashes, I mean, we've had some other um, other things on the show where we we sort of tried to think of like, you know, group them, make like big groups, and then you can kind of break it down from there. So can how do you think of rashes like on a broad spectrum? You you said sick versus non-sick. And then from there, is there any more breakdown of how you think about them? So I tend to do it a little differently from how the textbooks in dermatology would do it. Just again, I think because I come from that background of internal medicine. Yeah. So one of the things that's really fun to teach and to talk about on rounds is inside job versus outside job. Okay. <laughs> right? So inside job is tends to be very symmetric, bilateral. Certain rashes obviously have a predisposition for one area or another. That's sort of how we determine what their signatures are. But outside job, right? Um, Things that are introduced from the outside world into the skin or onto the skin, like contact dermatitis, like cellulitis, like um, other types of infections, tend to be unilateral or asymmetric. Um, And then you can kind of think of things as being sort of distal versus central. So again, drug reactions tend to sort of evolve from the trunk to the extremities, Mm -hmm. right? Whereas eczema, contact dermatitis, allergic manifestations, tinea tend to be extremities rather than trunk. 
So it's sort of, once you start to think about skin in this way, you kind of start to lose sleep because you're like, wait a minute, (laughs) tinea, like what's up with tinea? Why is it just the feet? And then you can go down this sort of science dork rabbit hole of why it's your feet and not your, I don't know, shoulder. Right. And and then my favorite thing to like, blow people's minds just for fun on rounds is like, how do you get tinea cruris? <laughs> like, how does that happen? How does that happen? Tell me. Well, so I, I'm going to do a little cheating here. We, we, uh, so we heard recently a pearl that one of our, our writers shared with us was that, uh, people put in their underwear on their toes have tinea yeah. and they pull yeah. it right up. Mm-hmm. Yes. I heard is that, that, is that the correct? other day on, on your show and I like <laughs> rejoiced. I rejoiced as a dermatologist. I, there was great joy for me when that was mentioned because that is like one of those, you know, like when I talked about people being able to write about a daily benign, banal, yet somehow like profoundly spiritual experience, tinea, chorus. Yeah. Everyone puts on their undies the same way. That's right. <laughs> Treat the toes, cure the groin. Anyway, that's sort of fun for med students. And it's just sort of one of those fun things to teach an internist because they're like, oh, yeah, that makes so much sense, right? So patterns of rashes being the point. Um, and when you teach someone that inside job tends to be diffuse, symmetric, bilateral, um, they're like, oh, yeah. You know, that's one of those easy things to grasp. Mm-hmm. You know, hives, for example, urticaria is almost never unilateral. It's just not. It's inside job. Your histamine is granulating all over the place bilaterally, right? <laughs> it's so fun. This yeah. is a fun exercise. Okay. Anyway, I'm geeking out, but that's one of the tools you can use. So, so far we have uh, sick versus not sick. And then we were talking about, you know, sort of where's, where's the distribution? Is it central or is it sort of more peripheral? Um, and then the other one you said is the, the inside job versus an outside job, which I, I like. I, I think I will be able to remember all of that. Anything else that any, any other big sort of, you know, groupings that you think about or clues? So one of the things that I try to do particularly in running a hospital-based service, is to try not to use too many big, scary dermatologic terms because not everyone speaks derm. If you ask me to speak optho, I'm going to speak it very badly, Yeah. right? Um, But we talk about things like Nikolsky positive. What does that mean? Um, Bolus versus non-bolus. I mean, when things are very red and very scary, and possibly eroded or denuded. Mm -hmm. Is that a primary bolus disorder? I mean, to be totally frank, many of my colleagues in medicine and in the emergency room can't tell the primary lesion. And I don't think it's really fair necessarily to be asking them like, well, do you think it's lichenoid or do you think it's (laughs) spongiotic? Like that's just not a productive conversation to have. So I would empower everybody, um, especially when calling dermatology consults, just to describe what you see in regular old words. You know, I think we've all been there, especially because I was trained as an internist that when you, I mean, I remember calling consults to specialists and having like 
tachycardia thinking like, <laughs> can I, can I speak cardiology well enough right. to convey what I'm worried about? You know, but, but at the end of the day, you're an advocate for your patient and consults are really just people asking for help about things that they're not sure about. It's not personal. And to try to speak a foreign language that you don't speak well, you know, I am great if someone calls me and says, this gentleman's here, he looks unwell, his mucosal sites are inflamed, he's complaining of a sore throat, he has dry eye, and when I look at his skin, it is inflamed, it is pink and purple, and it's moist, and in some areas it's eroded. Mm -hmm. That's a much different consult than saying there's you know, mucositis with a primary bolus, irregular, thin-roofed, flaccid, like all those things that derms would say to each other, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's different. If the emergency room tells me there's erosion of the skin with two sites of mucosal involvement in a sick patient who has skin pain rather than skin itching, I, you have my undivided attention. Mm-hmm. I know what you're telling me, right? And you just right. said it in regular English. So I am often trying to get my dermatology colleagues to accept consults in regular <laughs> English because I think it, I think we all make a better difference for our patients in that way. I used to have an attending in dermatology who would say, don't describe things as erythematous. If it's purple, just say purple, <laughs> right? Like erythematous is actually kind of useless. Um, and it's, everything's erythematous. That's not helpful. Yeah. If it's lilac, if it's purple, if it's red, if it's brown, say that. Mm. Um, and I think that that was really wonderful advice. I think you, we can advocate so much better for our patient. It's like a pearly flesh colored papule with erythematous base. And- <laughs> yeah. Like erythematous base and prominent telangiectasia and a dim shaped rose border. Like, come on. It's a BCC. Please see it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's pearly. Yeah. Right. Well, maybe exactly. we can, maybe we can go back to this uh, to our patient here, and um, let's like what let's just say that he's not he's not looking sick. He just has like a red rash um, on his trunk, and uh, what you know what might we give this gentleman for treatment? We know he's been on trim sulfa. How might you approach the treatment or the diagnosis to confirm this is what you think it is? Yeah, so he's not sick, right? His mucosa, I assume, are pristine? Yes. They are pristine mucosa. Yeah. Okay. We even took, we take him in a private room. We we check all sites. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, his his dental hygiene is, I mean, it could be better. <laughs> Who's couldn't, really? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. But he's not having symptoms of dry eye. He doesn't have ocular pain. There's no conjunctivitis. He doesn't have a urethritis. He doesn't have pain with urination. Um, no perirectal pain. Um, okay. I mean, great. It's unlikely then, especially in the absence of any blisters or erosions on his skin. Um, one of the things I would ask is, does his skin itch or does it burn? Let's say he feels a little bit itchy. Um, okay. Some and of the spots feel a little bit itchy. <laughs> he doesn't feel Bernie, Stuart. He, this is my case, Stuart. You could do the next one. <laughs> he doesn't feel Bernie. <laughs> so I tell my residents that people who describe either skin that's so itchy to the point that it's prickly, tingly, burning, or people who describe their skin as feeling like a sunburn, mm-hmm. 
they sort of have my undivided attention because skin pain in the context of a rash portends some bad things, mm-hmm. but things that itch are usually pretty benign. Okay. Um, so if he's telling me he's itchy and uncomfortable, um, and the absence of all the other things I mentioned, um, and it's symmetric, bilateral, diffuse, truncal, um, I would be thinking of sort of either benign morbilliform drug eruptions, which are terribly common, terribly pesky, quite uncomfortable. Mm. Mortality rate in morbilliform drug eruption that's uncomplicated is literally goose egg. (laughs) Zero. Like, I'm so sorry you're uncomfortable. This is terrible. You're a tomato. (laughs) We're going to make this better for you. But in the grand scheme of things, this is pesky and annoying. Uh-huh. And we're going to make sure that we do what we can to make it better, but you're at absolutely no risk whatsoever from dying from this. Yeah. Right. There's no mortality associated with that. Um, and in some cases, you know, in hospital based practice here at cash Memorial, this may be someone's salvage chemotherapy. This may be, oh, wow, that's a great rash. Good job. I, love I, that. I was just, just putting up a uh, morbilliform eruption for Matt yeah, so we can visualize it. Thank you, what Stuart. Is more, what you, is you're, you're welcome. What is more, <laughs> oh, this might be the antibiotic that is tailored to your profoundly extensive resistance pattern for your microbial badness, right? So, I mean, for acute morbilliform drug eruptions in the absence of other concerning symptoms like pancytopenias, LFT abnormalities, renal dysfunction. Guess what we do with that? You treat through it. Treat right through. Okay. Right? Because we know that that's safe. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can do a lot of palliative things with the skin, but if that's what you need, then that's what you need. And that's our job to make sure that you get it. What might, like, sort of palliative measures might you use to help this gentleman through it? Let's say say he has some sort of infection and... You know, we've cultured it. We know that trim sulfa is really his best option. Yeah. So, so if you can put up the picture of our gentleman, his 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 rash, I would like to implore you guys to figure out whether or not this is urticarial or morbilliform, mm-hmm. because that is a very different treatment algorithm. Okay. And I want to teach you guys a trick. Okay. That you can use. To help figure that out. So when you, do you guys think that you know what hives looks like all the time or do you ever no. find it kind of hard? Um, do I, I mean, it's obvious when it's obvious, but I guess sometimes I'm like, Honest, uh, yeah, maybe I, it depends on the complexion. Um, at Cashlack in, in the recent, in the recent past, I had a patient brown skin. It's kind of hard to know. He was getting blanchable versus non-blanchable and mm-hmm. mm, red. Mm, raised but does red itchy. look red on no deeply pigmented people no it does not right and so this is one of the big pushes in dermatology as well to make sure that we know what all rashes look like in all skin tones and types because we suspect that people with severe cutaneous drug eruptions in more deeply pigmented skin are caught later in the course right because that subtle erythema is um difficult to discern, right? So urticaria, right? Mm -hmm. Couple things about it. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Very few things in derm are like that. Okay. 
Okay. So even in the best case scenario with someone's morbilliform drug eruption, I tell them 48 to 72 hours before I really expect this to regress. Okay. Even with the best treatment, even with stopping the right medicine, even with topical steroids, even with systemic steroids sometimes, right? I'm not changing and getting ahead of myself by changing everything until I've waited two to three days. And so morbilliform, just to to define it, because it's more just, I know it's usually on the trunk that I see it. And I know it's usually associated with drugs. Is it raised? It's it's usually red when I see pictures of it, but. Mm-hmm. It, it, so it's erythematous, it's pink, it's red. Um, that can be more subtle in deeper skin tones for sure. Tends to be sort of that classic macular papular rash, which germs lose their mind about when you say macular papular, but truly some things, some things are right. Some they have macules are. and papules. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, they would not be evanescent like that. They do not come and go within 24 hours. Okay. Okay. But you can actually take your little surgical marking pen, like the one that we all have in every room at Cashlack Memorial hospital. And mm. if you think something could be urticarial, just draw it out. It's so fun to give people, I joke, I give them temporary tattoos. You just draw, because oftentimes urticaria is like very petaloid or serpiginous, right? Very sort of curly borders, uh-huh. wavy borders. Draw it out and go back tomorrow and see if it's, I mean, you may have hives in the same location, but not exactly in that same distribution. Mm-hmm. Done. Okay decided. And if it was more biliform, it it would be unchanged. It it would be unchanged. Got it. It might be fainter. It might be regressing, but it's not in a completely different morphology. Okay. It's not moving around in the neighborhood of the line that you drew. Got it. Moving, moving around. I would be scared if I saw that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you got something under your skin. Cutaneous larva migrans is derms. I mean, that's fun. That's great. Um, but that's not, that's not this. So the other thing you can do is you can take the back of your cotton tipped applicator or your CTA. If you're a dermatologist, uh-huh. I never heard that as a medicine no, dork, but like, you say, hand me your CTA. It's like <laughs> the wooden one with the little cotton tip on the end. And you use the wooden end. And I, my residents make fun of me because I always draw a tic-tac-toe. Uh-huh. Right. But that's called a test for dermatographism. Right. Okay. And it's not whether it gets pink because I get pink. Like I'm very fair skinned. Uh I get pink. Like if I lean on the back of my chair for two minutes, what you're looking for is close your eyes and see if it's sort of welted. Mm -hmm. Like if you have a whelp there, if it's raised, if it's papular. Yes. Oh Oh my God. Beautiful morphology. Right. Stuart is for the audience. Stuart is just like everything she's saying. He's Google searching (laughs) pictures. It's popping them up in the Skype chat. Uh, Stuart, if you don't find the one that says go blue, then I'm just going to hang up. (laughs) There's a beautiful Michigan Durham picture. That's like all the textbooks where some resident who was like a little bit surly that day wrote go blue. And it's like the textbook picture of all the urticaria. It's beautiful. But, but that is like a quick and dirty. So you draw tic-tac-toe in their back or you write go blue or whatever team you're for. And then you blah, blah, and you take their review of systems and you figure out what meds they're on. And then five minutes later, you go back and you don't look, but you feel. Close your eyes and feel. And if it's raised and lifted, then they're dermatographic. And it's more likely to be hives than not. Because they're just ready to release histamine. 
right? They're like ready to do that. And so that's going to inform your treatment as far as like you would use antihistamines uh, yeah. versus for a morbilliform rash. Would you, I mean, I, I'm sure everyone with a rash gets hit with diphenhydramine, but it's probably- not always, not these days. Not these days. Not these days. Because we've really learned a lot in dermatology, and this is probably above this pay grade for this show, but the majority of itch in dermatologic disease is not histamine-mediated itch. Mm-hmm. My question for you then is, if most itch is in derm is not caused by histamine, then how are we treating it, and do we know, do we know what it's caused by, or is it is that like too much into the weeds? Like, there's way that that's way into the weeds. But what I will do is I will make a big cop out and say that there is a beautiful review article in the New England Journal of Medicine by a gentleman named Yapsipovich, who's a dermatologist who is a premier itch specialist. And I hand that paper out like candy okay. to anybody who rotates with me. And it will really blow your mind. All um, right. That's about, I think, as quick as we can get through that. But everyone who hasn't seen that paper in the NEGM needs to take a look at it. Um, because there are so many different pathways and there are so many different pharmacologic approaches to itch. Okay. Um, to loop back, though, to our case, determining between hives and morbilliform drug reaction I mean, to treat hives, you have to stabilize histamine, right? And when you give antihistamines, you're doing nothing for the hives that are already there. Right. Your immune system has to flush out all the degranulated mast cells and all of their products and all the histamine. And, and there's just not, there's like not a pill for that mm-hmm. to make that happen faster, right? What you're doing in giving antihistamines is preventing hives in the next six to 12 hours. Okay. So I tell patients, the pills you take today are preventing your hives tomorrow morning, are preventing your hives this afternoon, Got it. are preventing your hives overnight, right? And that's why sort of using your surgical pen or your little indelible ink, I mean, it doesn't have to be a surgical marker, and then doing a trial of antihistamines when you suspect something is urticarial is such a rewarding slam dunk. Like this is dermatology magic. Yeah. Right? Oh, that's great. 24 hours later, your patient is happy. <laughs> things are better. They've gotten great sleep in the hospital. When does that ever happen? Um, because the diphenhydramine or the hydroxyzine made them so somnolent. Mm-hmm. Yay. Who cares? You're hospitalized anyway. <laughs> right? Um, but your morbilliform rash is not going to respond in that way. Mm-hmm. Right? So sometimes it's both a diagnostic and a therapeutic trial. Morbilliform rash, if they are not dermatographic, because now you've used your cotton-tipped applicator business end and you've drawn your tic-tac-toe and they didn't whelp up and you don't think it looks juicy and dermal and peau d'orange-like, right? Those patients are ones that you're going to give either topical steroids to, let's be honest, the one that's easiest to come by in hospital settings and oftentimes in the outpatient setting is triamcinolone, which is sort of your medium strength. We use ointments, not cream. Derm really doesn't get jiggy with creams very often. Use the ointments. Um, More potent, less likely to have cross-reactivity, contact allergens, et cetera. So make them greasy. Tell them it's cosmetically inelegant, but very important. Um, And twice a day. And see if you can get this to regress. Obviously, look at their medications withdraw the ones that you think are most likely to be the bad actor, Mm -hmm. anything unnecessary that the patient is on, trim those off because they never needed them anyway, right? The right amount of medicine is the least amount that you need. And then give them a good 48 to 72 hours. 
before you freak out and decide that it's not working. Because it often takes two to three days for inflammation in the skin to regress. And then if somebody's profoundly itchy and you want to help them get a little sleep, of course, the antihistamines have a role there. But don't expect it to move mountains in terms of like the actual relief of their pruritus. Let, let me uh, summarize a little bit here. Okay, so we are for a 43-year-old gentleman here, John Stevenson. He didn't have any muc- mucosal involvement. He didn't look sick. And we thought he had a morbilliform rash. So we, we stopped the offending agent. Let's say we, we decided that he actually didn't really need the trim sole for that bad. So we stopped the offending agent and we, we gave him some topical triamcinolone. We made him greasy and he gets, <laughs> he gets better. Um, <laughs> but now let's, let's change it a little bit. And let's say that actually he did look a little bit sick. He, you thought maybe you saw some blisters. He, he's saying he's, it's, painful to, it's painful to urinate. He's had a sore throat. Um, how might, how might your approach change? Are there labs that we need to be getting here? And, you know, what are some of the dangerous rashes that we might see that we need to recognize? Yeah. So that's a great question. So in terms of rashes that we see that are associated with some degree of more of mortality when it comes to drug eruptions, right? Acute generalized exanthematous postulosis, which is a lot of scrabble points and hard to say, Um, we call it (laughs) We call it AJEP, AJEP in the lingo, mm-hmm. um, is rarely life-threatening, but is associated in the literature with about a 1% to 3% risk of mortality. Um, this is classically your um, patient who is getting the third-generation cephalosporins, classically IV. There's one that starts with the Z by brand name that I won't say that uh, was given quite frequently for hospital acquired pneumonia and uh, those sorts of sort of hospital based things. Um, that's probably our biggest bad actor um, when it comes to age up. This is super rapid onset, right? So the time to onset for your rash can help you so much. And I recognize out there internists of the world that it is way tedious to figure out when people started and stopped their medications, especially if they've been seen in like clinics or settings other than your own, but it is really, really important. So with age up classically, it's one to three days in onset. So this is sort of like, boom, super fast. Right. Um, And this is the patient that's studded. So they're very brightly erythematous, often in areas where skin touches skin. We call that flexural areas or intratriginous areas. Um, And they're studded with innumerable tiny little pinpoint pustules, if you look very closely. Um, And the reason that there's any mortality associated with this tends to be from insensible losses, either heat, fluid, electrolyte imbalances, often in patients with predisposing features, that make this difficult for them anyway. So renal dysfunction or cardiac disease that make fluid balance really tenuous, right? Um, But age up can be terrible. And then when all of those tiny little pustules sort of coalesce together, let's say you continue the the agent that kicked it off, um, you get this very superficial desquamation and this denudedness to the upper layers of the skin. The difference between this type of blistering Mm -hmm. and something like Stevens-Johnson syndrome 
is that this is just like paper thin, very wet, um, just basically the stratum corneum. Um, and there's no sort of raw, beefy dermis um, below it, right? So you don't get that like beefy, bright redness to it. It's just that stratum corneum sort of lifting off because this is very, very superficial pustulosis. It could be a little tricky. Um, I've, I've probably pa- seen it, but not recognized it. I don't know that I've, I, I don't think I've ever made that diagnosis. It's way hard to find the pustules unless you get really, really close. I mean, they are really pinpoint, like head of a pin, literally. Oh, okay. Little stuff, mm-hmm. like innumerable. Like you can't count them. There's thousands of them. Yeah. The, the images I put on there are way zoomed, zoomed in. in. I see. Yeah. Okay. So I have some photos and maybe I can um, get you one uh, where I take a picture sort of like macro, like okay. standing at the bedside. And then you kind of go in and in and in. And then it's not until you're very, very close that you see they're like one millimeter. I see. Okay. Little creamy dome-shaped pustules on this bright red base. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Right. Except this one's with a darker skin type here. But that's great. I mean, I think there's not enough of that in our training and skin. Mm-hmm. Many of the textbooks just show things in white people. Mm-hmm. Right. And that really does a disservice to all of our patients who have olive and deeper skin tones, right. brown skin tones. So I love that. I love that brown patient you just showed. <laughs> that's great. What other, what other uh, serious drug reactions might we worry about? So Stevens-Johnson syndrome and toxic epidermal necroliasis, right? So those things are basically the same disease on a continuum of severity. Okay. So Stevens-Johnson syndrome is less than 10% body surface area. Mm-hmm. Something we call SJSTEN overlap is 10 to 30%. Okay. Exact same disease. Yeah. And then greater than 30% body surface area will... You'll, tar- you'll touch toxic epidermal necrolysis. Mm-hmm. Total body surface area, what do we mean? We mean epidermal detachment. So that's where derms will talk about this thing called the Nikolsky sign. So Nikolsky sign is where I take my finger and I put it against the skin and I, with intention, push down and pull mm-hmm. perpendicularly. And for those of you who have ever felt this, This is like a totally unforgettable, otherworldly, out-of-body experience because your skin is not supposed to slough like that. Yeah. 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 It sounds quite gross as well. It is extremely. And for those of you who have ever done this test and felt it be positive, you don't forget that. Is it painful to the patient when you do that? It is really unpleasant. We in Derm do it. Um, oftentimes on teaching rounds, only patient, only after patients have uh, re-epithelialized uh-huh. underneath um, just to demonstrate. Or the other thing you could do is you could take a blister, right? So you think the blister and there's like an area that's denuded from pressure, just patient's daily life, right? And you pick up the edge of that blister and you pull. And right into seemingly normal skin, it just keeps coming. That's Nikolsky positive. Yeah, that's re- pretty gross. I got to say, it's re- it's really <laughs> gross. It's very, very gross. Um, 
And I have a couple of videos of this and I'm allowed to share those. Patients have given me permission. So hopefully okay. I'll be able to, if you guys have a place, you can post them. Um, the reason I make the videos is so people know what that looks like. Yeah. And we could, I mean, if you have a YouTube channel or something, we can link to your YouTube or we could, uh, we could, yeah, we, there's tons of ways we can put these on our website or our YouTube channel if you want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so these so patients the are cared is. for in a, a burn, like SJS 10s, yes. they're going to be cared for in a burn unit. They're going to be really sick. So I work extremely closely with the burn unit here at Cashlack Memorial Hospital. They are amazing and we have a great deal of trust with one another. And I think it's an extraordinarily symbiotic relationship. Um, but that being said, uh, and I think the majority of the literature in this is published in critical care journals of a burn nature um, because it is essentially like a biologic burn. Yeah. It's like a biologic second degree burn. Right. Um, is how it's you know, dressed and cared for. And we in the derm community would argue that there are really only two things to do for patients that have this. And remember their mucosal sites are involved at two or more sites in greater than 90% of cases, right? And that can be ocular, it can be vulvar, it can be urethral, it can be perianal, it can be oral, right? So you've got that and you've got this Nikolsky positivity, which we just talked about. You've got a patient who feels sick who has malaise, whose skin is hurting instead of itching, what do you do? Right? Call what you. do you do? <laughs> I call call you. me. A lot of people call me, it turns out. Um, and I can't be everywhere because I'm very busy at Cash Lack. So what I want everyone to be able to do on their own is to stop the offending agent for sure. Right? And there's a list of bad actors that's readily available. Those things tend to be trimethoprim, sulfamethoxazole, allopurinol, aromatic anticonvulsants, certain antiretroviral medications. I mean, this is all readily available in most medicine and dermatology textbooks. So go to whatever your favorite resource is and check that out. Stop literally everything that's completely unnecessary. Okay. And back when I was in training, we didn't know, like, was insulin safe? Like everything in the literature has been implicated because so it's so yeah. poorly understood, right? That's how acetaminophen got its black box warning oh. and then was exonerated because <laughs> everyone with a sore throat in North America <laughs> takes acetaminophen, right? Right. So it, we, we tend to implicate those drugs that were taken between four and 14 days. Yeah. Really four to 10 days leading up to the rash. But- before the rash comes the feeling sick and the sore throat. And so medicines that were taken within three days of the onset of the rash are often not the bad actor. Okay. That's like your red herring, right? So don't blame the acetaminophen. Okay. Right. Blame the allopurinol <laughs> that was started for the gout. Blame the aromatic anticonvulsant. Okay. So stop everything that's not absolutely necessary oral contraceptive pills and insulin and a few other medications that I can send you guys have now been studied extensively in Europe and we think that they're safe, right? So now we have a short list of medicines that you can continue, but stop everything else and get them to an ICU. Just pound them with fluids too, I imagine, or? Yeah, care I mean, pound carefully. Okay. Carefully pounding. <laughs> carefully pounding. Okay. Yeah. Um, but depending on their insensible losses, a lot of them have had extensive loss of fluids and heat and have electrolyte abnormalities. A lot of them will have taken a renal hit okay. for sure. 
right? And so if you think about the pharmacology of this and if it's a toxic um, metabolite of the agent, we think that patients with renal insufficiency um, do worse. Um, so filling their tank and optimizing their renal function as best as possible, we think should have survival benefit that hasn't really panned out and that's not been studied well yet. Um, but you know, basically stop the right drug, get them to an intensive, okay. um, supportive environment. And I would add, call you to the list as well. And, yeah. and call your friendly local hospitalist dermatologist. All right. Perfect. Is is erythmo? You kind of mentioned like painful red skin. Is erythr? So that's what I think of as erythroderma. Does that exist as part of SJS and tens, or is it? So erythroderma, to be honest, I think about completely separately. Erythroderma tends to not be blistering, so tends to not be Nikolsky positive. Although if it's severe, I mean, we've definitely had cases transferred to Cashlac that have lingered in outside hospitals and didn't get diagnosed very early. So we've had 90% Nikolsky positive patients transfer to cash lab, I right? I guess technically that would be erythroderma, but erythroderma tends to be a totally different diagnosis, uh, differential diagnosis. That tends to be more uh, eczema, psoriasis, seborrheic dermatitis, contact dermatitis, cutaneous T-cell lymphoma. That's like a whole different talk. So that was SJS and TENS. Uh, and so we sort of toxic epidermal necrolysis. So those patients, we know what to do with them now. And that sounds like you said four to 10 days kind of. And then, yeah. so what about the longer, the longer drug rash? So this is dress syndrome. Yeah. So before we move on to dress though, the, okay. I just want to make one more point about SJS and TEN. And that is if you are lucky enough to survive your event, Right. Because there's a, depending on what you read, depending on your score 10 predictor for mortality, depending on underlying risk factors. Um, again, that's like a whole other talk we don't have time to get into. If you're lucky enough to survive SJS or TEN, your number one morbidity is ocular surface disease. Mm. So chronic dry eye, corneal opacification, corneal ulceration, uh, synblephron, which is scarring that bridges from your conjunctiva up to your um, to your sclera um, and onto your cornea. So these patients require ophthalmology oh, early and often. Yeah, absolutely. I would say, um, and then we have done a bunch of work here at Cashlack that looks at um, the degree of vulval or vaginal involvement. So honestly, a lot of People are not doing um, even just external vulvar exams in women, but up to 70% of women that present with SJS or TEN mm -hmm. um, will have acute manifestations of vulvar disease. And there's a risk for um, urethral stenosis. There's a risk for vaginal stenosis, um, adhesions, agglutination. If you read the literature, there's very little out there, but there's even um, a risk of adenosis, which is atypical glandular structures that grow um, in the distal vagina where they don't belong, and then mm. even malignant transformation. There's a lot of uh, pelvic floor physical therapy that needs to take place. There's a lot of almost like complex regional pain syndrome type dyspareunia, chronic vaginal dryness, irritation. Um, and so we we here at Cashlack are really trying to make an effort to get people to call gynecology as well um, and to really create uh, an environment by which these patients are seen 
um, and recommendations are made for topical steroids in the vulvar area and even in um, for um, the use of intravaginal dilators to prevent stenosis and um, adhesions oh, wow. of, the vag- of the vagina. Um, and I would be so interested to see if he can find anything on the internet with um, vulvar, SJS, or TEN, because one of the studies we just did showed that our gynecology colleagues are sort of unable to help us because they've probably never seen a case and there's nothing in their textbooks. <laughs> so, so as he's Googling, if you find a vulvar case, I want to know because okay. it's really hard. Unless you look and unless you study it, we, you know, this is, this is terrible morbidity for women with this disease um, and it's completely underreported. Okay, so moving on to dress. Okay, that's my soapbox about blindness. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, maybe. <laughs> this is like Stuart's favorite show ever because he's got to just mess around on the internet the entire time. <laughs> this is, you know, this is what in dermatology what our patients are doing, right? While they're waiting for us to come in the room, they're like Googling their rash. So I'm unfazed by, by his internet Googling. Um, so anyway, protect the eyes. Ocular lubricants of all kinds, eye drops, um, just moisturizing eye drops, whatever's on your formulary, um, and topical erythromycin is almost never the wrong answer for this. Okay. Um, but call your ophthalmology colleague early um, because one of the predictors for how much chronic disease they'll have has to do with how well addressed their acute symptoms are ophthalmologically. Okay. Um, and then if you can find a gynecologist who's willing to partner with you on this, I would implore you to call them if for no other reason than to familiarize them with, you know, what the presentations are. Can, I, and I, I just want to ask about the time course um, before I just, I'm just thinking of this question. When someone gets like a sore throat from SJS to the time where they're like, in full-blown T-E-N, like what's the, what is a typical progression day? Is it days? Is it hours? Several days. Several days. Okay. It's not like it's within hours. They're going to be like dead by the morning if you don't recognize and start, but it's, yeah. Okay. So we're on to dress. If you have somebody on like trimethoprim, sulfamethoxazol for whatever reason. Yeah. And they develop like malaise and a sore throat. I would stop that medicine. I would stop that medicine, yeah. Okay. Right? Because they shouldn't get worse. Yeah. Okay. So dress. Dress. Dress is having a nomenclature crisis. So what are we going to call it now? We're going to call it dish. Okay. But that's diffuse idiopathic skeletal hyperostosis. (laughs) No. But no one cares about that one, Stuart. That one's not... But I, I... I diagnosed that so much for like occupational. Oh my gosh. What am I going to do now? You've got dish, the second power. Technically it's dish. It's D I H S. Okay. Okay. So let me tell you about drug induced hypersensitivity syndrome. Okay. So what a dress, right? Dress is sort of another bad actor associated with some degree of mortality. Um, and it's kind of hard to pin down exactly what that mortality risk is because that depends a lot on which organ systems come to the party. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's usually skin and. Okay. Right. This looks like a more biliform rash. Is that? Yeah. So my favorite I mean, thing to pimp the residents on is what is the classic rash of dress? What is facial edema. Dress? It's more biliform rash. Is that the classic? So facial edema. 
which we would describe as effacement of your nasal labial folds. Okay, so that's this one that I'm seeing here. And the way that you determine whether that that's happening or not in somebody that you've never met before is by looking at their driver's license or their student ID. Okay, that's, that's okay. Good. I like it. It's a good pearl because, like, I'm like, I've never met you. Maybe you just have like a round face. Like, that's possible. You're gonna like insult them. You're like, can I see a a previous picture? <laughs> yeah, you say, can I see your driver's license or your student ID? Uh, okay. That's often very helpful. Um, but then, what is the classic rash? What's the morphology? Trick question. Okay, literally anything. It could be literally anything. anything. It can be erythema multiforme like. It can look like eczema. It can look like lichenoid. It can look like morbilliform, sort of classic drug. Mm-hmm. Okay. Again. <laughs> what yeah, what is that? It looks like eczema. That looks no, like no, facial no. contact no, dermatitis. It, it sounds like someone was like... like screaming in the background. I don't know what uh, that was. I'm sure yeah. th- there's probably a party out there. It's just they're it's... excited about dress. Yeah. <laughs> they're really they're into this. Um so so yeah, so that's like the trick to it, right? And, and so you how said else? Do erythema you multiform. That's like the target lesions. Yeah. Okay. That's your target. I got target it. bags, right? Three separate, totally complete zones: center, middle, outside, normal. Okay. Okay. Three distinct zones. There's atypical targetoid lesions, which have two zones. Center looking different from outside, Mm -hmm. looking different from normal background skin. Anything goes in dress, dish, whatever you want to call it. Okay. The reason the name is changing, we should touch on this, is because it used to be called drug rash with eosinophilia and systemic symptoms. Mm -hmm. Right? But then they discovered you don't have to have a rash. Okay. Okay, so then they changed it because they wanted to keep their cutesy name. (laughs) They changed it to drug reaction with eosinophilia and systemic symptoms. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. but then they realized you don't actually have to have eosinophilia (laughs) to have it either. So then they couldn't stick to dress anymore because they couldn't make it work. So now it's just drug-induced hypersensitivity syndrome. Okay. Okay. He's out. I'm he's, following. He's, he's Stuart's yeah. got he's got the blurred background on Skype, and now it looks like he has no head. He's just. <laughs> I'm, he's I'm, just I'm trying to find a way that we could have kept it dress. Oh, is that what it was? Is that why yeah, he yeah. laid down? He was just he deep, laid down in the dark. He was yeah. deep in thought. Yeah. So anyway, okay. So what else do you look for then? How do you know? Why are you worried? Again, these patients feel terrible. Yeah, they're sick. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They might be itchy. Right, they might have terribly profoundly itchy skin, but they this is systemic, mm-hmm. right? Inside job, sick patient. So they might have symmetric, a fever, fever, malaise, GI upset. Yeah, like they feel bad. This is cytokines going berserk, and they have a rash often, right? But then they also, in eighty percent of cases, have LFT elevations. Mm-hmm. So this is why blood work is really important in this disease, whereas it's not so important in SJSTEN. Okay. Right. To contrast. Um, and then when the kidneys are involved, it's often an interstitial nephritis. You're welcome. So you, you might have, <laughs> you might have urine eosinophils. Um, and then luckily for us, 
cardiac and pulmonary systems don't often come along to the party. So it's the minority of cases, but when they do, that's often the cause for mortality. So you can have um, a really terribly refractory pneumonitis with this, or you can have a myositis, a cardiac myositis. Okay. And you can have acute heart failure. You can have a lot of arrhythmia. And then one of the sort of pearls that we talk about a lot is that there's often a lag in the onset of um, hypothyroidism because you have an acute thyroiditis that doesn't manifest itself as hypothyroidism until about six to eight weeks later. Mm. So we often will check TSH um, about six weeks out. But the one thing to remember about dress or dish is that it's often very steroid responsive. So again, you have to stop the right medication, but in these patients, you're looking at a very slow, prolonged taper. Okay. So whereas with SJS and TEN, we're often supporting patients for the first like five days or so, if we're using steroids, like, like a quick pulse and off Mm -hmm. with dress patients, they tend to rebound. So there's this heightened sort of T cell reactivity and sensitization that smolders and persists. And so if you get greedy with your steroid taper and you try to taper it off too quickly, they often will rebound not only in the skin, but also with their hepatitis and their renal disease. So this tends to be like a six to eight week taper of systemic steroids, which of course internists hate for bones and diabetes and hypertension and, and all the rest of it. So we have to do a lot of counseling about fracture risk and vitamin D and calcium and possibly a DEXA and weight bearing exercise and, and all that sort of skin turnus stuff yeah. where we try to protect them from, from side effects of corticosteroids. There has been a movement recently to try to use steroid sparing agents. And I'll just mention for the sake of the podcast that cyclosporin is proving to appear quite promising in this regard. Um, but it has not made its way to the textbooks or the literature yet as first-line treatment. Um, but I'll just mention it because we've gotten away with it in a few cases to okay. try to truncate it. And then there's a lot of debate in the community about whether or not if it's just really skin-limited disease and the hepatitis isn't terrible and the kidney function is okay, whether you should do topical steroids as like a soak and smear where you actually rub the steroids on the skin and spare them the systemic steroids versus um, commit them to systemic steroids in that prolonged taper. It is reasonable for a patient that you believe you can have close follow-up with who is not critically ill Yeah, that you could try to spare them systemic steroids and treat them topically and with supportive care. And many of those patients also do well. So it's not every patient that gets systemic steroids. But these are patients you're going to want to keep close to you right. for many weeks to months. The, from what I remember about this diagnosis, too, it, it it's like a tricky it's a tricky diagnosis because you're you're talking it's like usually four weeks or longer exactly. from the start so of an again, agent. It's that onset of time, like initiation of the drug to the rash itself. Yeah, that can help you. So AJEP is super fast, one to three days. Stevens-Johnson syndrome, toxic epidermal necrolysis is usually in that four to 14 day window, like four to 10 is sort of like most common, but for dress or drug-induced hypersensitivity dish, 
I'm asking patients what they started six weeks ago. Yeah. Who can remember anything right. six weeks ago, right? So I often teach the residents to ask a holiday or a change of season. Okay. Right? Good idea. So right now we're into May. So sort of what what medicines did you start around Valentine's Day? Mm-hmm. As like a litmus test. Okay. Right? Because if you ask a patient, have you started any new medications? They're thinking like the last two weeks or a month. You're totally going to miss it. This is like a 40-day phenomenon. So if you give them a season or a holiday, oftentimes people will be able to come up with that better. This lag time from onset to sensitivity to rash is, you know, pretty long, six weeks. Yeah. Wow. So six weeks, it's, so it's six weeks, they're going to probably look sick, have a fever. They may have LFTs 80% of the time that are abnormal, may or may not have eosinophilia, and may or may not have a rash, but the ra- if they do have a rash, it could look like anything. Mm-hmm. And then I want to just mention to you all that there, there are actually three different criteria that are in the literature, two of which are commonly used. Um, and it's basically a point system. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of them is a Registar scoring system okay. for dress. The other is a Japanese scoring criteria. Both of these scoring criteria were created for research purposes. So if you look at them as a clinician, you're like looking at this and you're like, how can I answer some of these questions? Cause in, I mean, in some cases they're asking you, did the rash resolve within 15 days? You're like, well, what am I a time machine? Like, I don't know. I'm looking at the rash right now. Right. So you have to respect the fact that they were created to research the condition and to do case review. That being said, you can calculate a score and this is easily Googleable. Um, and you can calculate, features of both the clinical exam and the blood work. So for example, lymphadenopathy, atypical um, lymphocytes, um, and a variety of other features. Um, And it will give you a score that doesn't give you a slam dunk. Like very few things in dermatology are a slam dunk, but it will give you a not a case, possible case, probable case, or definite case. And then at least you have a leg to stand on right before you commit somebody to long-term systemic steroidals. Yeah. Yeah. Probably the first time I think I have a case of this, I'm probably going to call a dirt, my, my local, I'll call your consult service. At okay, Black. great. <laughs> we, we are, we aim to please. We are eager to see your patients. So I think we need to, I mean, we could, as always, we, we have millions of questions. We could just keep going, going on this. I think we've gotten lots of great stuff. It's been fun. Stuart's shown, you and I have seen just what, probably a hundred, 150 years. We saw a cat with TEN. But we got it. We have to let you go. Get on with your night and get back to your chickens and all. You, you got a lot. Your kids. You got a lot going. There's on. a lot happening. Yeah. Um. So, uh, is this a quick answer? When someone pulls you aside at a family party and is like, "What do I do about this rash?" Um. You know, how do you handle that as a dermatologist? Do you just like tell them to <laughs> tell them to buzz off or? <laughs> uh, I'm trying to. I'm trying to decide how tongue in cheek and ridiculous to be. <laughs> Um, my, my gut answer being that it's like what close to 10 PM. My time right now was to like jokingly tell you that I just tell everyone I'm drunk all the time when I'm not in the house. Um, and that I'd just, I'm just not in the right state of mind to evaluate them at their party. Um, that being said, I actually drink very little, um, generally the lighting in people's kitchens and six year olds birthday parties and like, you know, your street fair is not great. 
Um, I also, you know, I'm a dermatologist. I like to sort of see everything and most people don't want to get <laughs> naked, right? Like I'm like, well, if you want to get completely naked and do the full Monty here at like this holiday party by the punch bowl, we can, I mean, it'll make for an interesting party, but, um, you know, wrong kind of party. Yeah. I mean, I, like I don't know. That. That's not, that's not the kind of party I go to very frequently, but, um, it's never ending. So there are some things you can help with very easily. Yeah. But I, I do think you do the best service and you guys get this too as internists, I right? Know. Like, Oh, I have this spot. But I just I do... say, I'm not a dermatologist. You'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do tell, I tell most people that like, I, and, and I, I use this joke a lot of this sort of tongue in cheek saying uh-huh. in clinic too. Like I have patients that want to come in and they want to do like the peak and shriek exam. Like they want to show me the left shoulder <laughs> but how can I tell you what's going on in your left shoulder if I don't see your right shoulder, right? Like, so I tell them like dermatology is a little bit like forensics and we can't help ourselves. Like we're hungry for clues. Okay. Right. And there's this wonderful concept of um, congruent sites, right? So in dermatology, if you have an intraoral problem, right, you often want to look at like the other mucosa. Yeah. Right. So yeah. like, I'm sorry, I know you wanted me to look in your mouth, but off with the pants. Like, just, like, like I just must see congruent sites. Um, if you have a hand problem, I often want to see your feet. If you have a problem on the front of your chest, I often want to see your back. Right. So it, I just, I, my patients sort of know that I'm like hungry for clues. They're not going to get away with not being in a gown. Some of them I'll let do a, a waist up exam only, but really that's not even doing them a great service. And I let them know that. Um, so your, your easy out in the party is to tell people that unless they want to get completely naked um, <laughs> and in front of all their peers, the best way to really get the best medical advice <laughs> is to come to a place where they can actually be seen with decent lighting, the time to think, fewer cocktails on board, um, and a place where they can, you know, get a proper skin exam um, with all the information. Um, and that's not just us wanting to see patients in the clinic and make it billable. It's actually just doing right by your patient. Yeah. You know, you would never do like a cardiac exam, Um or maybe you would, I don't know you, but you might, um, but right. You would never like evaluate somebody for cabbage, like at the bus stop. Yeah. That's just not how we do stuff. And I don't think we should dumb, der- we should not derm the dumb down, dumb derm. down, derm, dumb down, derm. That's hard to say. Um, I like that. We should not dumb down derm, right? And derm is medicine. I started out the podcast with that. And I would end with that, that, you know, derm is a subspecialty in the house of medicine and we need to take it seriously. And we also need to participate seriously um, with our peers in um, other specialties. So that's my soapbox. I love it. I love it. I think we can end there. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Drastically dumbed down Durham. Dang it. Yeah. Stuart also, uh, he, he also said a drug reaction with exceptional systemic symptoms. So I guess that's his fix for the dress. I there guess they didn't think about that. I can keep my dish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can climb back up off the floor. Yeah. Uh, that really, you racked, you racked your brain for that one. It was oh. good. I'm stealing it. I'm definitely stealing that. Helena, this is, this was so much fun. I, you're, I can see why they, they put you up for chair of dermatology at Cashlack Memorial. Uh, whoever, <laughs> what was, I can't remember who it was. It might've it been Carl Sardi. Is, Carl do, you, Sardi. do you still know that person or is it just like Carl someone? Sardi is actively my dermatology consultant resident, like literally this month, this week oh, today. Oh my gosh. He's I, doing it. I wish He's we could release this podcast tomorrow, but we need some time to like, you know, 
put it together, edit it, stuff like that. So yeah. this will be, this will probably come out either sometime next month. We've just been to two conferences, so it'll either come out sometime next month or early July, something like that. But so it'll come out in like dress timeline. It, it'll come out in dress exactly. Yeah. Mm. If I were a drug rash, it'll be <laughs> yeah. out in four to six weeks. I love it. I think that is actually a perfect way to put it. That's what I should say from now on to guests. <laughs> That's great. Well, so um, I just want to give a shout out to all my residents here at Cashlack Memorial Hospital because I have to say, um, Carl Sardi, who is now podcast famous, um, <laughs> and I can't mention by name all the other 15 of my residents who participate in this kind of education every day. Um, they are unbelievably awesome and uh so thank thank you to dr sardi for recommending me to be the chair of this esteemed hospital and to you guys for taking durham seriously and having me on and i'm uh i'm thrilled to be a part of it this has been another episode of the curbsiders bringing you a little knowledge food for your brain hole yummy Get show notes at thecurbsiders.com forward slash podcast and sign up for our mailing list at thecurbsiders.com forward slash knowledge food to get our weekly show notes in your inbox. That's right. We're committed to providing you with high value practice changing knowledge. And to do that, we need your feedback. So please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes or contact us at thecurbsiders at gmail.com or reach out on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at thecurbsiders. For this episode, thanks to Beth Garbs Garbatelli, who unfortunately could not be with us tonight, but did an awesome job on the show notes and on the, on the script. And to all of our social media team, Hannah R. Abrams on Twitter, Beth Garbs Garbatelli again on Instagram, and Chris the Chew Man Chew on Facebook. Until next time, I've been and will continue to be Dr. Stuart Kent Brigham. And I've been Dr. Matthew Frank Watto, uh, missing the great Dr. Paul Nelson Williams, who I will remind you all, uh, he is a hashtag national treasure. Um, as is as is Dr. Stuart Kent Brigham, uh, who I remind you uh, produced the wonderful music that is probably uh, overlaying my voice right now. Under- <laughs> underlying, underlying, underlying. I, I I can't think. It's too late. Good night. Yep. Good night. This is very. This is much fancier than my real life, which is chicken backyard chickens and two kids. Oh, that's awesome! You have back so, backyard chickens is like one of my life goals. Which, oh yeah, no, I've I've arrived. <laughs> You've arrived! Wow, I've arrived. I have chickens in the house. Chickens. What's the I have? What's the mess like walking around the backyard? Um, I've had backyard chickens for approximately one month. Okay. So I am an expert and <laughs> the the mess is minimal. Okay. You're going to email date. me and let me know if, if you think uh, we can have backyard chickens or not. The answer got, is yes. All the chickens. They're I've awesome. got, I've got three dogs. So uh, I think, uh, I think, wait, I, I think my wait, back, I, what's yeah, that? Five kids, three dogs. And three cats. Don't forget that. I, I, I don't even know. The, the cats are always somewhere else. And there's usually like gerbils, hamsters. He's he's like Doctor Doolittle. Like it's, so, it's so a crazy we're, we're, house. <laughs> we're 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 down to one hamster. I think one hamster committed Harry Carey in the in in the little hamster cage. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, I'm okay. glad I'm well, recording that, that, Stuart. I might just throw oh, you are. <laughs> yeah, I hope I hope this is part of it. <laughs>